0: Gaming, a supplement podcast that I am doing along with our Live from the Night Owl flashback series. So I realized I said before I was going to record right after our gaming session, but kind of lost track of time, wasn't able to do that. So instead, I have Cody here with me. Uh, He played Kelco. He plays Kelco in Live from the Night Owl and live from the Night Owl flashback. And so we're just gonna kind of talk about how the session went uh, on both sides, both as a game master, first time game master, and as a player. Uh, So thank you for doing this with me, Cody. I super appreciate it.
1: You're welcome.
0: I can kind of start off the questions. I'm curious, how do you think the game went from your perspective?
1: So overall, I thought that it went very well. Given that you, it was the first time that you were GMing, I thought that the game flowed really naturally. It wasn't super clumsy or anything like that. I think that um, watching you plan it was very funny for me because I'm the type of person that doesn't plan a lot, and I knew that you put a lot of work into it, and I think that definitely showed. Uh, But you were also still able to be flexible, so the game's structure, which... Did you give a summary already of what was going to happen in the game?
0: Yeah, yeah, that was in the previous episode. So the
1: previous episode talks about what uh, we saw in the game. But for us going into it, what was cool was it was really clear that there were multiple options that we could take. So when we first arrived at this hospital... Mandy set up several things that we could do right away, so there guess, was multiple entrances.
0: I hope I hope that also showed just even when you arrived at the planet, even though you guys didn't decide to go to the city. Uh. Yeah,
1: so that's something that I'll say. I get now talking to you why you mentioned the city and why there was a city there for us to go to, but when I was playing, I had no idea we were supposed to even go to the city at all, I was just like, oh, just land at the base. Why wouldn't we just land at the base?
0: <laughs> well, and to be honest, and I'm sure we'll get more into this later. Um, I I would ju- I didn't I actually didn't plan anything in the city. Um, I just wanted to give you guys the option in case you didn't want to just land there. I was like, okay, what are several different ways that they could do this? Yeah. So that 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 was kind of I think my main goal as a GM was was kind of trying to make sure that there were just constantly options because I yes. feel like. I didn't want to limit you guys. And now you kind of mentioned this. You know that your GM style is very different from mine. We haven't recorded any of Cody's uh, GMing sessions on the show. I'm sure we'll do it at some point, or uh, we haven't recorded it for the Wandering Gamer Network, but I'm sure that'll happen someday. But so you've, you've GMed before, and I, I'm curious, based on your experience on both sides of the table Is there anything that you think could have gone better, or do you have any suggestions for how the game went?
1: I wouldn't necessarily say better. I think it's more of a difference that I just have a different style. So when I plan a game, I kind of plan for there to be the unexpected, and I don't write down a whole lot of details. So I just go off of a very rough outline where I know the story that I'm trying to get across is kind of this general arc, and then I kind of let other players fill in the gaps. Um, Your game was very much there was an answer to every question that you had thought of beforehand, which was not a bad thing at all. It meant that whenever we asked a question, you weren't him and her Han with not knowing the answer. You had probably more answers than we gave questions to. So I wouldn't say the issue would be in running the game, but this is actually one of the questions that I wrote down was just kind of How much time did you spend planning the game? And if you were to run a game again, would you spend that much time planning again?
0: So it's hard to pinpoint exactly how much time I spent planning. I... I work two part-time jobs, and in both of those jobs, I tend to have a lot of time to do stuff. So I spent time at work planning, um, I spent time at home planning, so I'd probably, i definitely put it in the hours of planning, (laughs) and if I were to run it again, I probably would do that again, because I, I really liked the research aspect of it, and even though I... Even though I didn't necessarily have to have an answer to everything, and even though I definitely researched, I know I mentioned this in the first episode, I researched way more about viruses than I ever needed to know. (laughs) Um, But I felt very confident about what I was talking about. And so even though that may not have, I don't know how well that came across... Uh, especially in the virus category just because I know there were a couple confusing bumps here and there uh, during the play session, but um, I felt more confident as a game master, as the person in charge of the game, being able to say, yes, I have the answer to that. I can explain why this is happening.
1: Yeah, so then I guess the only thing that I would say is just if you want to run a game consistently, sometimes you have to be more willing to fudge details, you know what I mean? Because if you need to plan a game three days and you don't have 10 hours to spend looking up a bunch of details, sometimes you just kind of have to...
0: Yeah, and, and I would say in response to that, like, the research is more fun for me. So yeah. I, I think... I <laughs> Which think, makes you crazy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but once, once I get used to running games, uh, I think being able to just pull something out of thin air and not do the research will be easier. Or even just having, like, those couple adventures that you know are going to work like there's no reason I necessarily had to look up stuff about medicine or viruses but I did that because I wanted to know how to answer that stuff if I was to run a game I probably would just do like if I were if I were to have to if I were to have to run a game in three days and had very little time for planning I would probably pull something that I know just and don't not, use
1: viruses
0: just not use viruses use something that I can pull a simple smuggling mission turned dangerous based on the enemies
1: right right that makes sense that makes sense I guess and that's something I do too I'm very When you ask about, like, what might be a different thing that I do when I DM, I lift a lot of (laughs) scenarios from video games, from movies, from, like, if you're really paying attention, I don't think I've ever run a game where I've not stolen absolutely (laughs) the plot from something that I've seen someplace else. Like, oh, hey, remember that Temple in Legend of Zelda, Zelda that worked really well? I'll do that, <laughs> and I just kind of throw that in there, and it usually works all right.
0: Well, and I feel like depend because it's a different universe. Like, well, and not all the time it's a different universe, but especially in like that instance, I feel like you can tailor it enough to the gaming environment that you're right. in that it doesn't feel like you're just doing a Legend of Zelda temple. Yeah. It feels like you're still in a Dungeons & Dragons universe temple. It feels like you're still in a Star Wars temple. Yeah, it's
1: mostly just like the puzzle or the scenario or how the enemies function, something like that. I kind of steal from others.
0: Yeah, and that would be one thing. I I don't remember if I mentioned this in the first episode or not, but that's definitely something that I enjoyed about the research portion of it, is I I really liked having the Star Wars extended universe to get information from and to... uh, lift off of because I wasn't coming up with the planet I wasn't coming up with specific things I actually was able to research and find things like the fact that the Sith used to have a library on that planet and I could incorporate that into the storyline so so I I appreciated that aspect so I definitely agree with you on on lifting (laughs) things even if you don't specifically lift them I do like that idea because it just I feel like you're able to elaborate
1: Gotcha. That actually kind of brings up something that is another definite difference, I think, and it might be why I don't think I would really want to in Star Wars. Do you like running a game in a fixed universe or in a fixed kind of setting? For example, D&D technically has a setting. You can get setting books, and I think the books themselves have a canonical setting, and I have never once used those. (laughs) You know, I think there's like countries in a map. I've never looked at that. I always, I kind of like making it up and it being entirely up to me what's there. But do you kind of prefer the, there's already a setting there. Now I just have to fit a story into kind of this setting.
0: I think as a first time GM, I appreciate there being, and this, this may just be me, but I personally appreciate there being a set universe that I can move my game into. Because like I said, I enjoy the research aspect. I really like being able to look into things and then elaborate on what is already there. If I were to get really into it, like I used to do a lot of writing, so I could definitely see myself moving into a Dungeons and Dragons game session where I'm creating everything from the ground up. And of course, like we said, lifting things here and there, but for the most part, creating it from the ground up, maybe eventually. But for now, I think still being new and it just makes it, I think personally, it makes it easier to have the universe and be able to say, okay, I know things happened here. Here's what I can pull from here. This is what I know. So I, I like that much better than creating my own at the moment. Gotcha. So, I don't actually have a whole lot of questions for you. The biggest one, I think, I mean, we can always go back to how you think the game went, because we kind of moved off from there, but I also had, was there anything that surprised you in the game?
1: Oh, yeah. This is a very good question, because this game was extremely surprising. So... When we've been playing Star Wars Edge of the Empire before, the tone was very much set by our usual DM, you know. It had a certain feel where we smuggled things or stole things. There was a lot of planning of missions where we would sit around and try to decide how best to steal things and how to pull off heists and stuff like that. And so when I knew that Mandy was going to be running a game, I kind of had an assumption of what I thought the game was going to be like, right? So we... And it started out that way. So the game starts out, and some person whose name I've forgotten contacts us with...
0: Zunai. Zunai (laughs)
1: contacts us and says, hey, you know, I'm sick, I've been poisoned or whatever, I have this virus, and I need the cure. And so, you know, to me, I was thinking, okay, you know, that points us very much in a certain direction, this isn't meant to be... I don't want to say that it was on the rails, but there was. you were planning one mission, right? And it was just, go do this mission, I'm going to run it, it's going to be fun. So I just kind of assumed this was going to be a very straightforward, just go rob a hospital, there's going to be guards, we're going to have to sneak past them or kill them, whatever we have to do. Um, but that's not what it turned out to be at all. It turned out to be a horror movie. <laughs> um, and I was not expecting that, and it was like really well set up to be a horror movie, because I remember there was one point where... And Mandy hates horror movies, and I love them. (laughs) So that's what was so confusing about this, where it was just completely the last thing that I would think. Because at first it started out very heisty, where we tried to sneak into the building. I tried to impersonate, like, a bodyguard that was working in the building. It didn't work. All of that was normal run-of-the-mill for us. And then there was a point where we managed to escape from enemies, and they went into this building to that hospital, and we heard, like, screaming, but we didn't know where it was coming from. And then we just, like, saw a stormtrooper walk out of this hospital into a snowstorm with, like, his head caved in. And he just collapses on the ground as a blizzard rolls in and we can't see him anymore. There's just a whiteout. <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking, well, when did this become the horror game? And the whole thing was like that, where it was very tense and scary the entire time. The tone was really, like, dark. And I don't I don't mean dark, where... It wasn't fun, but it was it was kind of brooding, you know? There was always, like, cackling off in the distance that we couldn't find. We were finding creepy artifacts. So I was very surprised at just the tone of the game because it was very different. And so my question that related to that was, what did you think made your game unique?
0: Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, I think what made my game unique, especially compared to the uh, campaign that we've been running in Star Wars, is kind of that I always wanted to keep you guys on your toes and I wanted there to be a constant threat now <laughs> what the reason things ended up happening in the game the way they did and the, I, I feel like the reason they ended up taking a much more uh, horror uh, horror gameplay tone or horror tone, um, is actually because the biggest thing that I forgot is that we are not a a combative group. And that's not to say that, you know, everybody doesn't want to fight, but there are certain characters such as Kelko who really avoid fighting. So in my head, the way a lot of this was going to go down was you guys were going to fight the stormtroopers. Then you guys were going to fight the scientist and his bodyguard and my plan actually was for the bound, uh, my bounty hunter to come in and join that fight. So it <laughs> It wasn't going to be you guys fighting a bunch of people individually, but the way that you guys ended up roll ended up ended up rolling and making decisions, you ended up splitting up the party, splitting up my enemies, and I was like, "Well, okay, this is how we're going to do this." And I I wanted to try to like I said, I wanted to keep that threat there. So as soon as the, the stormtroopers ended up going in to, to find stuff, you know, I was like, okay, well, they need, they're gonna end up finding my scientist, because I know where he is, roughly. And, and so I was like, I wanted you guys to know there was something else there. This wasn't going to be as easy <laughs> as you probably thought it was going to be.
1: This kind of goes off of what you were saying, that some of the decisions that we made changed the tone of the game. What player decision gave you the most trouble? What was the one that was kind of hardest to keep up with?
0: Oh my goodness. Um, I don't think it was a player... I don't think it was like anything that kept... That like threw the game completely off the rails. The one that I wasn't sure exactly how to handle right away was Kelco walking up to the stormtroopers trying to pretend to be maintenance. <laughs> I, you know, and knowing you, I should. And knowing you and knowing the characters that you tend to play as a GM, I realize now I should plan for the more unexpected. Uh. Yeah, I, I did not expect that at all. I thought you guys were going to sneak, maybe break a window to sneak in. I didn't expect you to walk right up to them. So so that definitely threw me for a loop.
1: Gotcha. And then what about the game then, not as far as player decisions go, but what about being a GM did you find those challenges?
0: I think the most challenging thing was keeping track of everything while also honoring your roles. Because, I mean... I could think of, you know, a couple different ways that your roles could go, but that doesn't mean that's what you're going to roll in the game session. So, so the way that I planned this game is I kind of planned the very beginning and I planned the very end and I had a couple ideas for the middle. And my ideas for the middle were the stormtroopers. Um the um the stormtroopers and the uh like having the greenhouse, so you got, or uh, having the the Sith library down bel- beneath, or the the altar. So those those were kind of, I knew those were going to be in the middle. And I think trying to keep track of everything, even though I had all the answers, there were still times where I had to definitely take a second to think. Um, Something even as simple as when you guys did the flyby and somebody rolled a triumph and they were like, well, I would like my triumph to be that there's nobody there and the parking lot's empty. Well, my original thought was that the stormtroopers were already going to be there, going <laughs> going through the factory and taking out boxes, and I was like, I had to take a second to be like, well, I want to honor, I want to honor their triumph because I can't honestly think of a better triumph. In that situation when you're just like doing a flyby. I, I thought that was definitely appropriate, but then I was also, you know, well, I gotta have my stormtroopers get there somehow. So just trying to keep track of the different puzzle pieces was, was difficult.
1: So that actually kind of leads to a question that we've talked about before, having now played the Edge of the Empire system a lot, now having GM'd it, not just played it, what do you think about the mechanics?
0: I actually still really appreciate the mechanics. I know I talked about this a lot in the first episode. Oh, did you? uh, Well, specifically that one of the things that I really appreciate about Edge of the Empire is the narrative point of it, and that a lot of the roles end up becoming very narrative. So even though you can have a mechanical outcome to it, you know, add a blue die, add a black die, that kind of thing... I still like that a lot of what you end up rolling you can say, you know, such as rolling the triumph, like, well, so how about there's nothing in the parking lot, and the fact that it is so player interactive, so I'm not coming up with all of the scenarios, I really, really appreciate that. So I actually still really love the mechanics of the game. Um, I think, I think the only part that got a little frustrating for me was actually during combat, and in a way, it was almost helpful that you guys ended up basically fighting people one by one, because just trying to keep track of like how much damage my my guys were doing uh, to you guys that that was a little tricky to keep track of. And part of this is my fault because I actually. I didn't read a lot of the book, to be honest. I was going a lot off of what we had heard on campaign and a lot of what we have already played. And I also, I had a cheat sheet from online. Somebody had made like an NPC kind of cheat sheet and I didn't completely understand the numbers when I first wrote them down and decided to do them. But that is part of being a GM and having to improvise, in my opinion. So even though I may have you know, I may have had a nemesis because one of the characters was in fact a nemesis, even though her gun was supposed to do or her blaster was supposed to do 12 plus damage at one point. I kind of just tweaked it a bit so that I didn't completely put a character out of the fight.
1: Right. I was actually, that was the next question I had was how much did you end up fudging numbers and kind of having to mess with the mechanics of the game while you were running it? Because I know the example of that nemesis character i knew that you told us that you kind of had to fudge the numbers on that because once we got to it you found out it was too powerful Mm -hmm. did that happen with the stormtroopers at all or anything like that
0: um it didn't happen with the stormtrooper uh the commander i think i fudged his maybe a couple hp just so he didn't like immediately die oh so you actually made
1: that one harder
0: yeah I did have okay. to make that one just a little bit harder and that's because the stormtrooper module or the stormtrooper stats that you're given in the book so the idea is that stormtroopers work better as a unit and so as soon as you guys split them up they become basically useless oh, a lo- right. Yep, a lot of the abilities and skills that they can have are based on there being more than one oh. now the commander I had already upped his like a little bit because he was a commander and so I was like he needs to be slightly more difficult, but I realized after I think the first hit that I needed to make him just a little bit stronger, especially because I had two players going after him. So I did tweak him a little bit. I actually didn't end up tweaking. Oh, no, I did. I did tweak. uh, I didn't tweak the scientist. The the scientist, he kept his normal stats all the way through, but he was supposed to basically be a pillow. You weren't supposed to kill him. Yeah. (laughs) That was, I did not think that was going to happen. You weren't supposed to leave the murder bot alone. In a room with him, but <laughs> um, but my my big Frankensteiny guy, I actually dropped him a bit.
1: Oh,
0: I did. Gotcha. So so I did have some reasoning behind that too, because I after the stormtrooper fight went down and somebody took damage. I don't remember who it was. I think it may have been Baxter. But when somebody took damage, I noticed that it it still hit pretty decently and the, uh, the, my Frankenstein, his his threshold was insanely high. He didn't have a lot of HP, oh. but his threshold was really really high. So I tweaked it a little bit. I raised his HP maybe a couple points, not not anything super significant. But I dropped his um yeah, soak. I dropped yeah I dropped his soak. That's what I meant, not wound threshold. I dropped his soak because um narratively the way I. I decided to go about this, was the stormtroopers fought him first. Oh. So I I figured, narratively, they probably busted his armor a little bit. So that dropped his soak down enough for you guys to hit him. He also hit really hard, so I was like, mm, if he hits you once, it's gonna, it's gonna hurt a lot. But then I, I raised his wound a little bit because I had my scientist helping him a little bit. So even yeah. though the scientist couldn't, like fix his armor, he was able to heal him up just a little bit. Gotcha. So that that was kind of my narrative justification for it. Um Stormtrooper didn't have narrative justification. And um I actually realized about halfway through the fight with the bounty hunter that I was playing wrong. I was not I had completely forgotten her soak. Which is shocking, she was the only one I was playing, but I completely forgot about her soak because I was so worried about you guys not killing her because she she wasn't going to die. She was gonna like, because I want to eventually continue GMing this in this arc, this storyline in a flashback, I wanted to have her as a potential through line. So you guys weren't gonna kill her, but I was so intent on you guys not killing her that I forgot to pay attention to her soak. So she actually started dying really fast. (laughs) So I tweaked her HP up. And then I was like, Oh, shoot, I'm actually playing this wrong. So she actually she really wasn't going to die. She had a a ridiculously high soak. I think it was like 8 or 10. Like it was really high. So once I realized that I was like, Well, I guess that didn't really matter. But I, I felt like, I personally, I felt like it went pretty fairly, but maybe that's just me. I just wanted to make it It became more difficult once you guys made it an individual fight every time, and I think that's something I've I've kind of decided to tweak for the next game I play. But I I feel like generally the fights went pretty fairly.
1: Yeah, no, I think they did, and I... The thing that happened with the scientist and the Frankenstein was... And this was all stuff that you let me do, which was cool...
0: (laughs) Well, once again, this goes back to honoring roles.
1: Yeah, so I knew that we were fighting this scientist, and I figured there was some kind of Frankenstein monster. Once we kind of were introduced to the concept of there being an evil scientist, I figured he had a Frankenstein monster. So,
0: well, there was, I feel like I wanted, especially in the beginning, and this is something we can touch on later, I wanted to give out more exposition than maybe I should have. But that was actually one of the things I touched on at the very beginning. Not that you probably remember that, but I did mention that they used to do experiments on sentience.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind (laughs) of led us to that. And the way the the story was working out with us hearing Screamings, it was kind of clear that there's a monster in Mm -hmm. there. So when this monster attacked us, I just kind of managed to ask the right questions for the monster to be standing in a doorway and then closed the door on his leg, and then I think I rolled a triumph.
0: Yep, there were a lot of triumphs against me that night, which were... (laughs) Hard.
1: <laughs> and he wasn't exclusively a melee guy, so that basically took him out of the fight. We could just poke at him from a distance, and there was no danger in the fight.
0: Well, he still hit, and he still oh, hit pretty he hard. He hit
1: Baxter. He That's did right. hit Baxter. That's right. But the cool thing there, and this is something that I thought she did really well, was so Kelco can't fight. Because, literally, I think his skill and his blaster are low enough. He's rolling perfect. He can't do damage to most of your characters. (laughs) Um, Which is fine. It just means that, usually, in a scenario like that, I look for ways that Kelko can do something besides fight. And I thought you did a really good job of honoring that. So, I didn't have to exclusively just try to punch this thing I couldn't punch. Instead, I went, oh, I'll make a mechanics check and try to use my environment to help me. But then that, yeah, ended up kind of isolating those fights. But I thought that that was something you did really well where you kind of let us feel victorious, you know, which was good. I think that everyone kind of had an opportunity to shine.
0: Yay. You know,
1: that everyone got got the spotlight a little bit cuz, you know, Baxter murder stuff really easily and uh um,
0: Evelyn got to find her.
1: Evelyn her got to find Jedi stuff, which yeah. is always good. And Caitlyn got to kind of go and have computers and had opportunities to shoot stuff. Although the shooting for her didn't go as well all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Although the end, she triumphed. So.
0: Oh yeah, I think that she was did. cool. Yeah. Or
1: she crit twice, something. Either way. Well,
0: that's good. I am glad that everybody seemed to feel victorious, <laughs> despite it being a horror game apparently. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. What was your high point for? GMA was there a moment where we either realized something or we got to do something or a scenario played out the way you kind of wanted it to or where it felt good you know what i mean
0: I th- I think the best feeling was during our first session, actually, and it was it was both times that we ended up cutting the episode where I was able to leave a cliffhanger on the episode without it feeling super contrived, mm-hmm. but also being able to watch your faces as you realize like this is not the game that you think it is. That was really really cool for me, and and I think you can hear it on the recording where people are like, oh no. <laughs> and, and that was just like, I I remember, especially coming out of the first session, just feeling really giddy. And I think part of that is because I was so anxious about GMing coming up to it. And I was really nervous. You can hear it on the first episode. I was like hyperventilating. <laughs> I, I was so nervous to do it. And just being able to watch y'all's expressions as It became a game that you didn't think you were playing was so cool for me. I will say, the other great part was in the second session, and I, this will be, these are all different episodes, by the way. None of this is because we play several episodes in one session, so I don't know exactly what episode it is. But during our second session, all of you guys trying to get through the door. (laughs) without actually opening the door. That, and then when you made the decision to just lock the murder bot in with my scientist, I was like, well, this is the game we're playing. (laughs) I thought
1: that was one you set up for us. So there was the scientist, and it was teased that he could infect us with this virus that would kill us. Oh, he could. He could. And so as soon as we were told that, we all immediately thought, oh, well, we have a robot, so... We'll just, we'll just, whenever we find that guy, robot's going in first. Anytime there's a door, robot's going in first. So then finally we find this guy and he runs into a room with no exit. And we just put the murder bot in there and close the door. (laughs) Yep. And then what did he like roll once crit and cut his arm off?
0: Uh, I think it was the second time. I think he actually missed the first time. But yeah, it was, oh, it was ridiculous. And I'm so sad too. Cause like, even though my scientist had like no HP, his, he actually did have a skill or two because I, I found out from doing the little bit of research, you know, just a little bit of research um, into the book, there's a colonist career. And one of the skills you can do is more of, like, a doctor, and they actually do have—because I think they assume that you aren't doing a lot of fighting—they actually do have a couple things where it's, like, pressure point, so, like, you know where to, like, hit somebody. And I was so upset that the one time he rolled to attack, he couldn't do it, and I was like, no! Interesting. (sighs) But that's okay. (laughs) Yeah,
1: we had a robot but I thought that was set up for us. Like I thought if we thought about it, we had a kryptonite for the guy.
0: (laughs) You know, what's funny is I actually didn't even think that through. Yeah. I I completely, up until you guys were like, Oh, well we have a droid. I was like, no. (laughs) But at the same time I did have, I did have my Frankenstein monster who I was hoping would take most of Baxter's attention, Baxter. And I don't remember Caitlin's character's name, but there it would take their attention away so that they could focus on that. And then, That way my weak, weak scientist could potentially fight you and Evelyn because he had very, very little. Yeah. And that goes back to the idea that originally this was not supposed to be a one-on-one fight every single time.
1: Yep. We got too paranoid.
0: (sighs) Which is fine. Which is fine. That just means I did my job right if you guys were paranoid. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yay. Oh, so this is this kind of goes back to something, but I was just curious about it. Where did you find the stats?
0: Yeah. Um. So I actually I got the stormtrooper stats from Caitlin, and I actually once again mentioned this in the first episode. I waited to do stats until the very last second because I hate numbers. I didn't want to deal with it. I was just like, they should just exist. The end. But the so I got the stormtrooper stats for, uh, from Caitlin because uh, she had used them previously, and like I said, I tweaked those for my commander. But then I did find a cheat sheet online. There's not a whole lot of help online in terms of like that I could find at least uh, of people making, you know, like a standard nemesis and then tweaking from there. But there was a very, very helpful cheat sheet, like I mentioned before, where it wasn't entirely clear exactly how this person intended you to read the cheat sheet. So there were some things that I was like, well, that's confusing. But I, I kind of went through and I used a lot of, like, the, the wound threshold stats, uh, the soak stats. Um, I guess every time I say HP, I mean wound threshold. But... Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, all these games have different names for the same uh,
0: thing. You guys know what I mean. I'm sure you guys play video games and stuff. But <laughs> basically, I used the numbers for that. I used the numbers that he had, he, she had for weapons as well. The one thing that I did... A little bit more research into by flipping through the book a little bit was specific skills and abilities. And, and I kind of made those decisions too. So like, I'm sure there's a more technical way of building a character. But when I was looking at my scientist, I kind of looked at like, how my character that I made for Life from the Night Owl is, and I tweaked it there. So like he was he was not a very brawny character. Like, he was weak. So I, I put that at one, a one. A lot of stuff, I ended up putting a one for him. But I knew that he had, like, he was really good at, like, mind things. Things that had to deal with medicine and smarts. So he was really good at that one thing. And so I kind of, I just kind of tweaked it based on their personalities. But, like, the general stats I got from that cheat sheet. And then I just tweaked it based on how I think they would actually be and now I said like I said this the, that is not the technical way to do it at all um especially I'm sure you know someone out there will be like well you're not supposed to just randomly assign numbers but I feel like I balanced them out enough it's not like I made it every single single main skill a four you yeah. know I, I I did it I really and honestly sincerely did it based on their personalities and what they would be good at and what they wouldn't be good at
1: yeah and I think that's something that I learned when I was DMing and doing it poorly, which I'm wishy-washy with rules either way, but something I found out was if I have an NPC, I have a character sheet for it, even if... So I usually run Pathfinder, and there's just huge database of a bajillion NPCs, a bajillion player characters, monsters everywhere, people have made them up, so I usually just find one of those that looks good and use that. But at least then when someone says, hey, I need to know this stat... and I would have never thought they would need to know that stat. I have an answer right.
0: Well, and I, that's one thing I found really helpful, actually, is so so having the base skills was really nice, and then making a uh, making notes on exactly certain skills that they were good at, and then I kind of knew whether or not to add some yellows or greens. And, yeah. and to be fair, there weren't a whole lot of times I was rolling specific skills, so I did that a little bit more arbitrarily. But knowing, for instance, that their brawn was... a one so for instance when my scientist tried to attack baxter i knew that his brawn was a one so therefore his melee was going to be a one so just like that and and one thing i think i would do differently uh we actually we don't have a printer at the moment otherwise i would have had this is having a blank character sheet just so i can reference it myself would have been really nice because a lot of the skills in Edge of the Empire are based off of those main skills. And then it's just whether or not you take ranks in them makes it so you're rolling different dice.
1: Yep. Actually, you just kind of mentioned something, so now I'm curious. I think we've talked about this a little bit, but is there something you think you would do differently if you were to run a game again? I think I asked specifically about if you would do as much planning, but just in general, was there anything you think that you would do differently? I
0: think in general, I... I don't think this was a fault of my planning or anything, or my running the game, but this is something that I would change just based on how combat went. For this next gaming session that I'd like to plan, I definitely want to make sure you guys are fighting, which we talked about actually right after we played, and I've mentioned this several times already, having the one-on-one fights was not my intention, so I would plan on having, uh, I'm not going to tell you specifically, but having having teams of people that you guys can fight and making sure you guys are fighting the teams instead of just it just ending up being a one-on-one. I think that's the biggest thing that I would change. Yeah, sure. I am I'm still, I'm pretty happy with the way that I, I planned out um, letting you guys have choices and especially having the beginning plan and the end planned. Oh. I think, I think that helped me a lot because I was able to be flexible in the middle but then just have a hard way to end it. Yeah. Um, and then I actually, I really enjoy planning out like maps and stuff. And so I was, I, I liked planning that way because I was able to tell you guys when you were in a certain room. And I think by the time this goes up, I'll have a couple of the episodes up and I'm going to put the, uh, if you guys, if I haven't put them up already, I will put up scans from my, my notes, specifically the maps. Because I I think that helped me a lot, Um, especially because I knew we were going into one building and that was the main thing. So differently, eh, maybe not a lot differently, but obviously a different quest and by nature of it being a different quest, changing up exactly what you guys are going to see and hopefully making you guys fight more than one person.
1: (laughs) Even if we try really hard not to?
0: Even if you try really hard not to.
1: So I think we had kind of finished that point. So... One other question that I had, and I'm curious about this, because we've talked about this before. Do you think that you prefer DMing or playing? No. Oh, I'm sorry, GMing. I have a <laughs> <I> habit. <have>
0: <laughs> yeah, we we all know it's about the same thing. Um, you know, that's actually a really good question. I I think that the actor in me really loves playing, and I really love being able to come up with how I want. Um, my character's story to go and how I want things to change. So I would probably say at the moment I enjoy um, playing right now. That being said, though, I really enjoy GMing and I think that's the director. I really like having the chance to uh, plan and kind of direct how it's gonna go and how the story's gonna 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 play out. Especially because one of the things that I haven't actually gotten a chance to talk about was one of the things I noticed from GMing um, this group, because we've gotten a lot better at role playing, there were a lot of times where I could just sit there and let you guys talk. And it was really nice, actually, because then I could keep track of what was going on. And so, if, while you guys are talking, I just have to make a note here or there to remember, like, "Hey, stormtroopers are gone." That's, I think, when I decided to change the uh, the stats on my Frankenstein. But it was really nice because I, it was nice to be able to take a step back um, and let you guys do that. And, and I think, once again, that might be the director and me coming out where it was like, let you guys do what you got to do, but then we're going to bring it back in. We're going to continue the story and move through. So... I would say playing right now, but I really can't wait to GM again.
1: And actually, I think that you touched on something that I think is not always a struggle for new GMs. It depends on their style. But I think sometimes there's the habit when you're a GM, you're first starting out to want to kind of micromanage and want to control everything. <laughs> yes. And being able to, because I've given this advice to other people before when they've asked me about GMing for the first time. And I one of the big things that I tell them is don't talk, you know? Like, if you hit a situation and your characters are talking, take a back seat. Let them fill in the gaps because they'll do half the work for you.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that's such a strong thing with our group and with the system. Mm -hmm. Because even though the roles may not always go the way that I would prefer them to go, the players are able to give me a lot of feedback and kind of end up writing the story. But then also you guys role playing, which once again, strong point of our group. It's great. You guys are able to just keep the story moving, but and and have fun without just relying on rolling for skills and combat and things like that. Right. So I, I, yeah, I I thought it was really nice to let you guys let you guys go for a bit.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, well, I don't think I have any more questions.
0: I guess I'm still curious. Um, like, because we've talked a lot overall about how you felt the game went, but like we started to get more into specifics, and I, I would love to know specifically like how you thought the game went.
1: So, as far as specifics go, with Individual things that I thought were both good, and I don't want to say bad, but not the way that I play, or not the way that I GM, Um, I probably would have had less exposition, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's entirely subjective, so...
0: It felt easier as time went on. I feel like I gave a lot up front because I had a lot of information. And also you guys rolled terribly and I couldn't give you all of the information for knowledge checks. Right. But there was a lot I wanted to give you. And I I think that may, I feel like based on listening to a bunch of um, like people trying to start out new arcs and things like that, I kind of feel like that's a problem in starting a new arc. Not all the time for a new GM, not all the time for an old GM, but I feel like that's kind of just an issue with starting out a campaign sometimes is just you end up wanting to give exposition. Yeah. Because I've noticed that not just me.
1: And part of that too, you can give exposition through gameplay. Mm-hmm. So instead of it just being all straight narration where you're just, we rolled something and then you tell us about the planet or you tell us about viruses, we could meet a character that does that or, you know, something that puts that thing in the game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But that's just... A preference thing. I thought that the way the dice rolls all worked out, I thought was really fair. I thought combat went really. I thought you were good letting characters do what they wanted and making that work in the story. So there was never a time where someone asked, "Oh, can I do this?" and you were just like, "No." You let us do it, but then it kind of led us back to the story somehow. It ended up with the plot for So I thought that was really...
0: Did you ever feel like it was railroaded?
1: Well, eh, yes, but that's not a bad thing. I think that, that that idea gets thrown around with RPGs, and I think that it's sort of like a false thing to get mad at a GM about, because... I didn't expect you to plan 10 games and then go, there's an open world, you can play any of them. I knew that we needed to do this quest, so I wasn't going to just leave the quest
0: well and i guess i agree with you there is a point where a quest is a railroad yeah um i guess my question is did it feel like there were enough options that i wasn't specifically saying go to point a you have to hit point b make sure you hit c so we can get you know
1: so yeah it it definitely felt like we had options the entire time and we were figuring out how to solve the puzzle so I knew I was railroaded to solve this puzzle. There really wasn't an option for me not to solve the puzzle. But the way that we got to do it was entirely up to us, and I think that's the good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I can really think of that was quote-unquote railroading I thought was the best narrative part of the game, so I'm not going to get mad about it. It was the stormtrooper getting his head caved in oh. <laughs> at the front of the building, and then a snowstorm blows in. and we were So we were in the greenhouse, and then we saw someone come out of the front door of a building getting murdered and then a snowstorm kind of blew in the way and we couldn't see it anymore and at that point it felt like okay we're going down this passageway in the house and there's no real choice um but i
0: mean you could have fought your way back i wasn't gonna argue with you you right we definitely
1: could have said i walk out the door and go over to that door but it it felt like you wanted us to go down there but that's not a bad thing and like I said, narratively, I think that was the strongest narration you gave was just that imagery of that thing happening. Mm-hmm. Definitely set the tone for the rest of the game. So I don't think that was bad. I'm trying to think away.
0: Did you feel that skill checks were generally fair? Because I know the way that Star Wars works, you set them at easy... Um, average, hard, and that kind of thing. There
1: were more easy checks than I was used to. And I think after the game, I asked you about that specifically. Why even bother having the easy checks? Why not just make them successful? But then at the same time, you kind of made the point that easy checks are there for a reason, there's always a chance they fail. And so generally, we succeeded those, so it sort of feels like at some point, if you're rolling an easy check, it's almost impossible. Maybe Mm -hmm. sometimes you do, but... Then there's other times where it's like, well, what's the point of even having this check here? But it kept us rolling the dice a lot. And it felt like, you know, when we got one of those and it worked, it was like, yeah. You know, and then it makes up for when you have a check that's hard. So that was fine.
0: Well, and I think it was really funny because uh, one of the things I noticed is, you know, people, you know, when people would ask, okay, so what is the difficulty? And they would start grabbing multiple dice like they were ready for this to be really, really hard. And as soon as I said easy, they were just like, Oh, um, and so I feel like maybe maybe that goes into you guys feeling more victorious. But once again, this is a narrative type game. So I really enjoy the fact when you guys get things like threats or when you if you get advantages, like I feel like that's a way to make it more narrative because we can and I know those aren't the actual terms. It's something it's something else. It's not advantages and disadvantages. No, I think it's, it's advantages and threats. Oh, maybe that's what it is. I don't remember.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure.
0: No, we never use the correct words for them, or we rarely use them continuously. But that was that was something I I once again enjoy is because this game is so narrative by forcing you guys to have threats and have advantages. It was nice to round out the story more. Yeah. How did you feel about the enemy?
1: Um. So the stormtroopers, I thought were generic fair in that they were stormtroopers. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, we all know how those work, and that was fine. Um, The Frankenstein, I thought, was going to be harder, but this kind of went back to the game taking me by surprise. So I thought there was just going to be Mad Scientist and Frankenstein. I was not expecting Bounty Hunter Sister at all.
0: Well, and he was supposed to be harder, and then you trapped him in a door. (laughs) Right,
1: right. And I guess, too, the issue with trapping him in a door meant that it was almost, an if Baxter lost a bunch of hit points, we could just, or got a bunch of wounds, we could just back up and let characters shoot at him until he was dead. So once he was trapped in the door, you kind of knew he was done for. It was mm-hmm. just a matter of if he could rip his leg free or something like that. I mean, the scientist maybe could open her. But um So I, at first, thought, I don't want to say he was a bit of a letdown, but when we beat him, I kind of just thought, okay, game's over. You know, I thought we were done then. But then, yeah, another enemy came up and wrecked her lives. And that enemy, I thought, was fair, given that it was a nemesis we weren't supposed to kill. So I thought we did a really good job of pushing that character to a point where it made sense for her to bail on the fight. Mm-hmm. And so when she ran off, that kind of felt good, that it was like, yeah, we made her run away. Awesome. Um, And then try to think. Cuz yeah, and that was one where like we took enough damage to that it felt challenging and the way she reacted to stuff felt challenging. Um but yeah, yeah, I thought that was good.
0: Um so as you've been talking, I realized there are actually two more things that I've I've had in the back of my head that I, I do want to improve on with a future game. Oh, okay. Um, so one thing that I didn't even realize I was doing until the end of the second session, so the end of, of this, this arc, I targeted Baxter almost exclusively. Oh. And I didn't realize I was doing it it made sense in terms of the narrative because, like I said, most of the most of the time these ended up being one-on-one fights and Baxter is a very melee character. <laughs> so it made sense that all of my NPCs would be fighting this murder bot one-on-one and not paying as much attention to, like, Caitlyn's character yeah. uh, who's shooting from a distance. So that's one thing that I realized I probably shouldn't do that. And I don't think Vinny took, uh, I don't don't think he took offense to it because I think it it also made sense. But assuming that I will be making more team-based fights, I will definitely be less focused on only one character. I think it's literally just the way that the narrative ended up working out. The other thing that I would say that I want to, I would want to improve on is to be more mindful of my NPCs because realistically, in that fight with the Frankenstein, my mad scientist could have been doing more. And really, I probably should have rolled for him. But then it's also thinking of like, well, can... I should have maybe rolled for him trying to get out of the door. Um, So there are just certain things that I think I was so focused on you guys succeeding while also... Try, it's funny because I say trying to be aware of everything was definitely the hardest part and that's... Well, no. that So that's definitely something I want to improve on is I want to be more aware of exactly what the NPCs are doing because... You guys are going to find a way to win or get very close. Like, that's the way that the game is going to be designed, is either way, you guys are going to win in some respect or another. So I shouldn't be as worried about that as I should be about what my NPCs are doing. So I think, or, you know, when you guys were fighting the one stormtrooper, one could have come back down. There was just... There were certain things that I think I could have changed um, by being more aware of what my NPCs were doing. Um, so that would definitely be something I want to improve on.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Actually, now now that you bring it up, I guess I didn't think about it. The only one that I thought about in the moment was the scientist not doing anything. Uh huh. Because I remember, like I said, I thought that was the last fight. Mm -hmm. So I figured it was going to be really hard, which is why I tried to push for getting that thing's leg trapped in the door and all that stuff. So when I figured that was going to be harder and then the scientist didn't do anything, I was not expecting him to be as much of a soft, squishy pillow as he was. I Mm -hmm. thought he was going to be challenging in some respects, which I guess he kind of was if we had not just sent Baxter in. Yeah, yeah. But I definitely think having had the scientist do something to... Because he almost could have been the Kelko mission where he was the one that was going to not necessarily fight, but, you know, he could have messed with the computer to open doors or, I don't know, thrown vials of poison at us through the crack in the door, you know, stuff like that. I guess I... That was the only one that I thought about should have happened. The Stormtroopers, I figured, happened the way that made sense.
0: And I think it would have been different if like so the people that ended up taking the people that ended up being fought one on one were very individualized people like they were all planned individually. They weren't just like a generic stat that I slapped on the Frankenstein and my bounty hunter and the mad scientist. They all I focus a lot on making sure they were completely different characters um, with different um, skills that they were good at and stuff they were bad at. Um, I feel like if it was more of like you guys were fighting a bunch of smugglers or a bunch of stormtroopers like, it would be easier to be mindful of them because they have to work as a team anyway. Yeah. But as soon as I was focused on this character, I think I think that definitely disrupted my my thought of what everyone else was doing.
1: I mean, that's challenging to stay on your toes in a fight and really come up with stuff. I think that's always a challenge.
0: Yeah, combat was definitely stressful.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's difficult for me ever to make combat interesting. I don't like it in role-playing games almost ever. I usually find it boring because...
0: I think that's something else is we've, cause we've talked about this a lot that combat can move really slowly. Yeah. So I think in a way it was almost helpful that there were just a bunch of little combats because at least like really realistically the narrative moved really quickly. Um, like, like at least in, in my mind, you know, even though it took a, maybe a round or two, you guys still killed my NPCs or ended the fights pretty quickly. Mm. So I think that was nice, but I I definitely yeah, not not paying attention to my scientist as much would have uh it I think it definitely hurt the game
1: I mean yeah I don't think I don't want to say I don't want to make that sound terrible you know no, I think no, it does I we're think... definitely getting to very nitpicky stuff
0: well and I don't think it like oh it hurt the game that people were up people were upset because it didn't feel like a game it didn't feel like everything flowed no I think I think everybody it sounded like everyone still had fun and generally it, it still flowed pretty well I think that it could have been better yeah if I was more aware of him and more aware of what everyone was doing.
1: So this is a little off subject, but now I'm curious because you brought up how quickly the narrative moved. How long did you... Did this game last as long as you planned it?
0: So it it, it definitely lasted longer than I thought it was. I thought it was going to be a one-session game. Yeah. I was surprised when it took two sessions to finish it. That being said, though, like... It's still, for me, I guess it felt like it moved quickly. Right. Because we were all really invested in the narrative. And I think it moved quickly because as a first-time GM, I was still pretty nervous and just on my toes. So it felt like the hours went by like that. So, no, it didn't actually go quickly. It yeah. just felt like it did.
1: That, that's, a, that's a GMing thing that I think it... I'm still not always good at it, but it's something I'm working on, which is being able to end a game in three hours or two hours with intent, you know? Where yeah. Where you go, I'm going to plan this to be two hours, and then it turns out to be two hours. Because, you know, you'll write something that's one sentence on your page, and then you'd roleplay it out, and it takes 30 minutes. Yeah. Gosh, like, how did this take so long? I think the best game that I've ever run and ended was Princesses and Palaces. <laughs> that actually lasted one session. And I felt like it ended well, and that's really rare to have happen.
0: Yeah, but the the biggest thing I will say is I, even though yeah. it did last longer, I feel like every episode ended where it should have.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The episodes definitely hit at good points. It narratively made good points for them to end. Um, But yeah, that was something I just kind of wanted to see if you had found was that you plan a game to be so long and then it ends up taking like 3 times longer than you think.
0: Yeah, I think based well, and based on the fact that our group does a lot more role playing now. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. There were definitely times where it just felt like like I was just waiting for you guys to finish your scene, which was great. I wasn't going to complain about that. Um, but because we do that more, I I'm pretty sure that doubled the time. Yeah. Just from role-playing. Yep. Which isn't a problem. That just means if I plan out something like this again, uh, you know, just, just expect it to take twice as long. Right,
1: right, yeah. Getting, getting a game to last three hours.
0: Yeah. Well, and... I guess the other thing, too, is going back to, you know, how I even originally planned where you guys might land first. You mm-hmm. know, I had the option of, like, the city. That could have taken a whole nother session based on everybody roleplaying. <laughs> right.
1: So, we could have taken time to buy stuff. Exactly. So, final thoughts from you. Anything else that you want to say about how your first time GMing?
0: Um, I guess it was, it was as stressful as I thought it was going to be, but... I had way more fun than I thought I was going to have because I do have a habit of, I really enjoy planning. And so researching and planning is really fun for me. I know you're shaking your head. I know that doesn't make sense for you.
1: I am shaking my head because the dog's dirt.
0: (laughs) But I, I really enjoy that, and I was worried that that would not translate to GMing. I, I think it did, even though it was stressful. It did. There's definitely a lot I can improve on and things that I want to change for my next game, but that's the upside. I want there to be an next. So cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting and talking to me for over an hour, Cody.
1: Is that over an hour? That
0: was over an hour. Yep. Yeah, have fun editing that down.
1: Oh, yeah, I get to. (laughs) So, if this is all clumsily edited and seems like an amateur edited, it's because I'm going to try to edit something and it's going to go badly.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you guys enjoy Live from the Night Owl Flashback.